Saints. Anytime, anywhere, smartphone, tune in radio app via Alexa. We are WRKN, Picayune, New Orleans, 1061 Nash Icon. Good evening and welcome to All Access on 1061 FM Nash Icon at NashFM1061.com. Presented by CrescentCitySports.com, the best sports site in Louisiana. All Access is also presented by the Allstate Sugar Bowl, representing the best of amateur athletics, and by Francesca Bicates, serving up St. Louis-style food with a New Orleans flair. All Access is also brought to you by Lamarck Ford and Lamarck Lincoln in Kenner, by Bergeron Automotive in Metairie, by LifeGate Church in Mandeville in Metairie, by Premier Automotive, with locations throughout the New Orleans area, Segnet Landing Restaurant and Swamp Tours in West Rigo, Petri Transport Services, John Curtis Christian School in River Ridge, by Life Resources Ministries with outreaches throughout the New Orleans area, and by the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. It's your chance to talk sports in substantive fashion with informed guests. To join in the conversation, call 504-260-1061. Now, here's your host, Cumulus New Orleans Sports Director Ken Trahan of CrescentCitySports.com, the Saints Hall of Fame Museum, the Greater New Orleans Quarterback Club, Life Resources Ministries, and Delgado Baseball. And a pleasant good evening and welcome to another edition of All Access, the midweek edition here on this Wednesday, October the 25th. I'm Ken Trahan, so glad you've chosen to join us this evening. Rudy Dixon, our esteemed producer, doing a great job as always, and of course, you are the listener and it's your show. We'd love to hear from you at 504-260-1061, that's 504 504- 260-1061. You can always catch us at home via Alexa. Catch us at NashFM1061.com worldwide on the web. Our podcast is available following this show. Just go to CrescentCitySports.com. Go to the left column and click on podcast to be able to access us and what you may have missed. You can always email me. It's Ken at CrescentCitySports.com. That's Ken at CrescentCitySports.com. Dot com, or as mentioned, you can call it 504, and it's 260-1061. That's 504-260-1061. Of course, we'll get into the Saints and what to look for heading into Indianapolis this Sunday. LSU with a week off, but Alabama is next, and the secondary is chopped up for the Tigers. Tulane on the road at Rice. This is not a gimme. Rice has a familiar name at quarterback, and he's good, and we'll get into that as well. All of that's still to come on the show here this evening. But we get started by talking about your New Orleans Pelicans and why not. They are opening their regular season this evening on the road in Memphis against the Grizzlies. 7 p.m. live on Bally Sports to watch it. The home opener coming up on Saturday night, 6 p.m. at Smoothie King Center against the Knicks. So... What to expect of these Pelicans? Final roster has been announced for the sake of names. Darian Sebron, Zion Williamson, C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, Dyson Daniels, Kaiser Gates, Kyra Lewis Jr., Brandon Ingram, Jose Alvarado, Jonas Valanciunas, Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Hawkins, Trey Murphy III, E.J. Liddell, Matt Ryan, and Cody Zeller. Of that group, the ones that matter, the starters, will be Zion Williamson, C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, 
and Jonas Valanciunas. And then, of course, when you're looking at key players to provide depth, Dyson Daniels, obviously. Part of that mix, Larry Nance Jr., part of that mix. Beyond that, we'll see. Najee Marshall's health, of course. An issue, Jose Alvarado is out. Trey Murphy is out. So, Kyra Lewis is going to get a chance. And other than that, you wonder about what the depth is going to be. Does Cody Zeller have a role at all? I know he has a history with Borrego. But where does he fit? It's an interesting dynamic. What to expect of this team? The Pelicans going into the season. When you're talking about expectations. When you look at the odds to win the West. Plus 2,500 if you're betting. To win the West Division. And the over-under for wins right at around 45. It's 44.5 games is the over-under on wins. That means they would have a winning record. Where's that going to get them? Well, if it's 44.5, they might be a play-in team. The West is going to be tough, and it's going to be extremely balanced. When you look at that conference, the way it stacks up now, heading into the season. Of course, last night, the Denver Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns made statements. The Nuggets whipping the Lakers at home as they lifted their championship banner to the Raptors and received their rings. And Nikola Jokic once again showed he's the best overall player in the league with a triple-double, the dominant force on the court. 29 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists. What else is new for Jokic, who looks really good physically, by the way? But they have balance. Everybody in their starting lineup at double figures Good-looking team again. The Lakers are better, I think, as well, and they'll be a factor. But Anthony Davis, the great Anthony Davis, he had 17 in the first half, and he disappeared in the second half. Didn't score. But he's a superstar. Okay. Not buying it. Sorry. Phoenix Suns, statement win over the Golden State Warriors, and they won at Golden State. Very impressive win for the Suns, who are obviously going to be a major player with Kevin Durant ostensibly there for the entire season and the changes they've made otherwise. Nurkic looked really good. Booker's uh, an elite player. That is a good team. So, I mean, I look at that team, and I think the Suns are going to be right there with the Nuggets at the end of the season. I think they're that good. The Warriors are still good. Can't sell them short. Mention the Lakers, they're still good. Can't sell them short. Those are playoff teams. The rest of the West, Sacramento had the breakthrough season last year. Young Nucleus figures only to be better. They'll be in it. Minnesota, full season with the two bigs. How they mesh will go a long way toward determining, but Edwards is a stud. They'll be in it. Clippers are the Clippers. Kawhi's healthy to start the year. That's important. They'll be in it. A lot of trade rumors there, too, about what they're trying to do. Memphis Grizzlies without John Morant to start the season. Moved on from Dylan Brooks. The cheap shot artist, they'll be in it. Dallas Mavericks get a start to the season with their two superstars together and Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. How good are they together? Don't know. How good are the players around them? Suspect. But they'll be in it. San Antonio Spurs, Victor Wembanyama. He's all that when you look at what he can do. 
how he transitions immediately will obviously go a long way toward determining whether this team is in the mix or not. But with Wembenyama, they will be better. Houston Rockets made a lot of moves so that they're not a bottom feeder. And with the moves they made, they'll be better. Might be on the outside looking in. Blazers, well, they're, they're kind of starting over of sorts, moving on from Dame Lillard. So they might be toward the bottom, but they're building for the future. Team to watch is Oklahoma City. That's a good-looking team with a good-looking future when you look at what they've been able to do and the way they've built their franchise. They've done it right, and they got themselves a good-looking team. I mean, the Thunder, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's a star. He's right at the top of the league. Josh Giddy is really good, really good. Now they got Chet Holmgren, who was hurt last year. They get him back. That's huge. I mean, Jed Holmgren has a chance to be really good in this league. And he was a missing piece that they had last year. Good-looking player. Dagnall's a good young coach. That's a good-looking team with a good future in Oklahoma City. So, Thunder, they're absolutely going to be there. And they'll make the postseason. Again, this is all projection barring injuries when you talk about these teams. Utah will be competitive. I don't think Utah's all that, but it's a competitive team. And they'll have a chance to compete for a play-in spot. But you get the drip. The West is a very loaded conference. So where do the Pelicans fit in? They're behind the Nuggets, for sure. Behind the Suns, for sure. I would say behind the Lakers. And at this point, probably behind the Warriors. And Kings, that's five teams right away. Are they better than the Grizzlies? Good question. On paper, both healthy. Maybe the Grizzlies a slight edge. So that's six teams. Clippers, can they keep it all together with their stars, get them on the floor enough? Similar problem to New Orleans? Don't know. Minnesota, can they mesh? Don't know. But they've got talent. So... There's a good 8 to 10 teams that are good teams in the Western Conference. And the Pelicans are going to have to earn their keep. More than anything else, they're going to have to learn how to play together. And hopefully that takes place for an extended period of time because we haven't seen that. And we all know the story there. And this is a team that has to keep its key players together on the court for that extended period of time to prove what they are actually capable of doing. The expectation has always been high. The projection has always been large. But the execution has not been there because of the lack of availability. Is this the time? Is this the year that we finally get a chance to figure it out? We finally get a chance to understand just who this team is and what it can be? Well, let's hope so because... Let me say this to you. I mean, this is the year. One way or the other. Because either the Pelicans prove that they are that team that can be a contender in the West and be a consistent winner where the chance with aspirations to be a champion in the not-too-distant future, or they either prove that they can't or they can't do it because they can't get players on the floor enough. If any of the latter two take place, they're going to make changes. They're going to make changes to their roster. 
changes to key players, maybe even changes in the organization, whether it be coaching or front office. Jonas Valanciunas, last year of a contract. C.J. McCollum is a year older. Zion Williamson is an approve-it year, one way or the other. So you get the drift. You know, as far as the young nucleus, Trey Murphy, really good, but he's hurt, and that's a shame. Out until at least mid-November. Herb Jones, young player, good player. Jose Alvarado, young player, good player, but he's hurt. Dyson Daniels, can he provide enough offense? Don't know. He's good in other phases, and he's young. If he can develop some offense, he could be a major asset moving forward. So there's real hope where he's concerned. Jordan Hawkins, I don't think is going to be that guy for minutes early in the season. I don't think they'll trust a rookie to do that. However, given the lack of shooting that this team has from the perimeter without Trey Murphy, it is certainly entirely possible that Hawkins could earn his way onto the floor earlier than anticipated because they don't have the perimeter threats. I mean, let's face it. Who do they have that can shoot threes without Trey Murphy? It's McCollum. Ingram to a degree. Beyond that, who else? Who else? Valanciunas can make one on occasion. Herb Jones a corner three on occasion. But occasion's not enough in the NBA. You have to be able to stretch the floor. You have to be able to shoot threes with a degree of competency. This team wasn't very good in that department last year. And would have been a lot worse without Trey Murphy and what he shot. And now you don't have Murphy. And their way to address that in the offseason was Hawkins in the draft, and that was it. So it will be interesting to see if Jordan Hawkins gets on the floor early on in the season, and if so, how much. And if they do, is he going to be able to provide that threat from the perimeter? His form is good. We know he can shoot up and down summer league and preseason games in terms of shooting, but that's what you would expect from a young player. E.J. Liddell missed all of last year. I don't see him getting on the floor many meaningful minutes. Just don't see the fit where he fits and how he could possibly get on the floor. Don't see that happening anytime early on. Najee Marshall is a He's a glue player. Gives you honest effort. Not a shooter, though. If he's healthy, he'll play. Kyra Lewis, of course, is the guy that people always point to. Yes, he's quick. Yes, he's fast. Yes, his shot looks good, but the consistency level hasn't been there. Injury set him back, of course. But he's intriguing. And with Alvarado hurt, looks like he'll get a chance to show what he can do. Has to be able to shoot it well enough. Of course, he's relatively small, so that'll be an issue on the other end. Larry Nance Jr., is he healthy enough? Can he stay healthy enough to be that smaller big that can give matchup problems to opponents as he did two seasons ago? Not so much last year when injuries curtailed him and he wasn't as good. Playing against bigs, him staying healthy, especially getting older, is not an easy thing to do. And he's obviously a player that was good for them two seasons ago, and they need him to get back to that level. Cody Zeller, what is he all about? Well, again, the acquisition was a little bit strange in the sense that they had Willie Hernan Gomez, 
was a traditional big who, whenever called upon, did a good job. They wanted to go a different route. They brought in Zeller, whose career numbers aren't impressive. You know, he doesn't give them a rim protector or that great big defensive presence that you hope for. But again, he has a history with a new offensive coach, and that matters. But again, what role he plays, I don't know. I don't see him in that mix initially. But we'll see. James Borrego, now the assistant head coach, the associate head coach by title. Former head coach in a league and a guy that's brought in here to really run the offense and given an opportunity to do that. We'll see what he's able to do. Highly thought of for his offensive prowess and schemes. The one thing that the Pelicans want to do and that Borrego has pushed, is to push the basketball. They want to play faster. They want to be able to get up and down the court, create some break opportunities and some open looks, push the pace, try to wear down opponents in the process. Are they going to be able to do that? Well, I think it's also dependent on who's on the floor. But you know Herb Jones can get up and down. Zion, for his size, can get up and down. McCollum's older, but not adverse to doing so, and Ingram certainly is capable of doing that. Valentin is more of a trailer. They need him to rebound, and they need him to make some shots in a low post and an occasional three. That's what his value is to this team. Always going to be a bit of a liability on the defensive end, especially against versatile bigs or smaller bigs. But you live with that because of what he does on the offensive end. And he's got to probably play more with the game on the line than he has previously, although if Nance is healthy, they kind of like him as a closer in that situation with a smaller lineup and a smaller big, but that again is reverting back to what he was two years ago. Can he be that again? Don't know the answer to that. It's an interesting question to say the least. The Memphis Grizzlies, well, they were thought of as a contender for league championship contention prior to everything starting to cave in last year. You had John Morant get into trouble. This games didn't help. Dylan Brooks with his issues and they finally got rid of him. Now Steven Adams is out permanently. And that's a loss. The former Pelican really tough against the Pelicans. He's been a really difficult matchup for Jonas Valanciunas and he's out. They've got Desmond Bain. Jaron Jackson is a matchup nightmare. Good player. Luke Kennard. Marcus Smart now in the fold, and we know what Marcus Smart was in Boston. A tough dude. He can play. I mean, Memphis is a good team. Still a good team. And this won't be an easy opener by any stretch of the imagination. And the Pelicans would like to get off to a good start against a conference opponent, a division opponent. So it's an interesting dynamic when you look at this matchup this evening and how it's going to unfold. So we look and see exactly what they're going to be. And right now, uh, the money line is interesting on this game. People can see it going both ways where this game is concerned. 
lot of people pointing at the over in this game. I mean, I don't know how you can tell that this early on when you're starting off the season. You know, with one game, you don't know exactly what these teams are just yet. You got an idea, but I don't know that you can possibly venture a mature guess as to what's going to work out in this particular game. We do know it's a division game. We do know it's a conference game. We do know it's an important game for both teams, and we'll see just how it manifests itself. But again, season opener coming up 7 p.m. this evening as the Pelicans get set to take on the Grizzlies in Memphis at FedEx Forum. And again, the home opener Saturday against the Knicks. Glad you're with us here this evening, 504-260-1061. And we will take a time out here. When we return, we'll get into the New Orleans Saints. We'll get into LSU and Tulane and more as we continue with more of All Access for Wednesday night. Ken Trahan with you on Nash Icon 1061 FM and at NashFM1061.com. I'm Ken Trahan. And I'm Jude Young. We'll have comprehensive coverage of high school, college, and the pros, plus a voice for you to speak your mind. It's entertainment, it's information, it's all that you could want. And it's right here on 1061 Nash Icon. Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. Following Inside New Orleans on 1061 Nash Icon. Country for life. This is Brandon Presley, and you might have heard Tate Reeves' ball face lies about me. I don't support sex changes for minors or boys playing girls' sports. Never have. Look, you know me. I'm not a member of a country club, don't take money from power companies, and don't have rich parents that can fund my campaign. So I'll never be able to compete with the millions more in campaign dollars that he has, but I know the truth is on my side. So here it is. I've never been afraid to stand up to my own party. That's why I'm pro-life, pro-gun, and pro-law enforcement. And it's been the honor of my life to serve North Mississippi on the Public Service Commission. But unlike Tate Reeves, I will expand Medicaid so we can keep our hospitals open and our people healthy. I'm Brandon Presley, and I'll make you the promise that I've made you all these years. As your governor, I'll never forget where I'm from or who sent me. Paid for by the Brandon Presley campaign. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1 800 929 2121. That's 1 800 929 2121. Or go to SelectQuote.com. 1 800 929 2121. That's 1 800 929 2121. Select Quote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. 
Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, call Select Quote at 1 800 929 2121. That's 1 800 929 2121. Or go to SelectQuote.com. 1 800 929 2121. That's 1 800 929 2121. Select Quote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Celebrating 90 years of excellence, the All-State Sugar Bowl is one of college football's most enduring traditions. And for nearly a century, the Sugar Bowl delivers for New Orleans, for Louisiana, and for the region. Major events, big tourism, and a national spotlight each and every year. And this season, it's even bigger. The college football playoff semifinal at the 90th All-State Sugar Bowl. New Year's Day in the Dome. The Sugar Bowl is presented by Allstate, Louisiana Tourism, and New Orleans and Company. This report is sponsored by Taco Bell. OMG, hot and crisp nacho fries are back. And there's even more fries to love now at Taco Bell. But it's now or never. Yeah, these fries covered in bold Mexican spices with nacho cheese sauce are only here for a limited time. At participating U.S. Taco Bell locations for a limited time only, while supplies last. Still seeing stop-and-go traffic on the eastbound Crescent City Connection. Lafayette to the I-10 merge. Any accident that we might have had has been cleared. But a 15-minute ride, 7-minute delay there in those HOV lanes or 9 minutes, I I-310 northbound after LA-18 right lane is blocked in 37 minutes from US-90 to I-10 right now. 610 west between uh, Canal and I-10 running slow in the Metairie Lakeview area. Michael Higgins, New Orleans Funeral and Cremation Service Traffic Center. Calling all listeners, what's on your mind? We'd love to get your take by calling Ken Trahan of CrescentCitySports.com and All Access on 1061 Nash Icon and at NashFM1061.com. Call 504-260-1061. Ken Trahan with you on this Wednesday evening. Glad you're with us as we continue on. We'll talk about Tulane and talk about the Saints coming up. LSU has the week off, of course, in preparation for the big showdown game at Tuscaloosa a week from Saturday on CBS against Alabama. And where LSU is concerned, it's the good and the bad with regard to health and availability. Brian Kelly said he expects Emory Jones to return after missing last week. Practice today. Zai Alexander, out, hurt. Not good. This past offseason, LSU signed four transfer cornerbacks. And it's looking more and more like none of those will be available for the game at Alabama. Coach Kelly addressed the situation surrounding Deuce Chestnut and Denver Harris, who are quote-unquote inactive right now. Kelly said, quote, internal things need to be accomplished that I really can't discuss, end quote. Well, you knew what you were getting in Denver Harris. Leave it at that. Chestnut, well, you're dealing with it. So... Alexander, out. Chestnut, out. Harris, out. Makai Wingo, likely out too. He's going to miss time, according to Kelly. Ashton Stamps coming back from a groin injury. And he may be needed because the freshman from Archbishop Rommel may need to play. Given the circumstances. 
talented player. They liked him in the offseason. He's played in games, but again, been nagging injury that has kind of slowed him down. And so now he's in a position where they have to hope that he can play and play on the run and contribute on the run and be the guy they need him to be because they're going to need people to step up in a big way. And what has been a beleaguered secondary, even when healthy. Sam played very well last week. Been playing well. They're going to need him to continue to be that guy. Very important for LSU to have the opportunity to be that team that everyone is pointing to. I mean, look, this defense has played better over the last couple of weeks. There's no doubt about that. But the opposition certainly had something to do with that. Auburn doesn't throw the ball well, and Army certainly doesn't throw the ball well. So there's that with regard to where they're at right now. And they can only hope that this secondary continues to find its way and be better moving forward. If they can be decent, then this team has a chance to be very good. They don't have to be real good. Just have to be average. You know, be decent. Be solid enough. You know, Jaden Daniels has been the best quarterback in the country. Bar none. Running and passing, nobody better. That simple. And if LSU had one less loss, he'd be the favorite for the Heisman Trophy last night. But they have two losses. Of course, a win in Alabama and a big performance could change that whole approach and dynamic and perception. We know what the performance by Joe Burrow at Tuscaloosa in 2019 season meant everything. 46-41 win. Burrow was great. Pretty much put the Heisman away that day. Malik Neighbors, best receiver in the country? I would say so. Think about his last six games. 13 catches, 239 yards, two touchdowns. Eight catches, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Eight catches, 102 yards. Six catches, 146 yards and a touchdown. Six catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Four catches, 121 yards, and two touchdowns. Who has been better than he has? I mean, nobody. I mean, that's he's been that guy. Superlative receiver. I just think he's that good. Harold Perkins continues to play better. Really good in coverage, and I know a lot of people... Didn't want him doing that, but he's been outstanding in pass defense and coverage. We all know what his ability is to rush the passer or to make negative plays against an offense. Very good in that regard. He's gotten better and better, utilized better as the season has moved on. Mentioned Andre Sam being better. Had the two interceptions in the last game. And, of course, they, they have to be more consistent on the defensive side of the ball. It's that simple. Alabama's getting better on offense. They're not what they've been on offense, but they're getting better on offense. Jalen Miller is finding his way. He's a guy that makes plays with his feet, a guy that extends plays with his feet, and a guy you must keep contained if you want to have success against him. Because once he breaks contain, he can run or he can throw the ball deep down the field and hurt you. And he's capable of doing that. This offensive line for Alabama is not what we've seen or what we're accustomed to seeing. They're not dominant, solid enough, but not dominant. 
They're not just going to line up and punish you. I don't see that happening against LSU. But their offense is getting better. Their defense has been very good. Alabama defense will be a real test for LSU. Physical, and they can run well enough. This will be the biggest test for the LSU offense this season overall with what they're facing. And I certainly think that this will be a a game where LSU is going to have to score in the 30s to have a chance to win. I I just think that that's going to be the case. Look, I don't see LSU's defense stopping Alabama. Could they slow them down? Yes, if they play the way they played recently. But I just don't think that they're going to be able to stop Alabama. So I think you're going to have to score 30 or more if you want to win this game. Pete Jenkins, the Pete Jenkins effect. It's there, and I think it's obvious. They're lining up correctly. Technique is better. Then the rotations change, too. Different guys are getting different snaps or more snaps than they had previously. And, of course, that's going to certainly be the case without Wingo in the game coming up. Or Mingo. I mean, when you talk about what they're doing, Kai Wingo's an important player. And obviously not having him is going to hurt. But they're using different guys in different ways. Rotation's been pretty good. If they don't get left on the field too long, they can be effective up front. Linebacker play's been better in recent weeks. It needs to continue to be that way. Kicking game overall has been solid. Needs to continue to be that. It's certainly a lot better than it was overall a year ago. This game carries incredible importance. It always does. But again, that's the case this year. If LSU wins this game, the Tigers are still squarely in the mix to win the SEC West. Can't win a tie break with Ole Miss, obviously. But Ole Miss has Georgia left. They've still got tough games to play. LSU still got Florida and AM after this. That's why it's a pretty intriguing situation. If LSU can beat Alabama, I believe the Tigers are going to win out. If LSU loses to Alabama, LSU could easily lose one, if not two more games after this. That's why it's such a swing game. So important in the grand scheme. And then, of course, there's Alabama and where they're at. You know, and Alabama is still good. Not invincible. Yes, Texas beat them. But Alabama's 5-0 and in the SEC. That's all you need to know. And they lead the West by a game over LSU, a game and a half over Ole Miss. Alabama 5-0, and LSU 4-1, and Ole Miss 3-1. and A&M's got two losses. So those are the teams in the mix in the West. And I do think that LSU has still got a real shot. But it all centers around this particular game and whether or not they can beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I think they've got a chance. The offense has to be exceptional. Can't turn it over and has to be exceptional. And as I said before, I think it's going to have to score in the 30s to be able to win. Can it happen? I believe it can. Will it happen? Don't know. I'll have a pick of this game when we get closer next week to the game itself, especially once we see about who's available and who's not. We already got a pretty good idea about those that won't play for LSU, but let's wait until we get a little bit closer to figure it out. So an intriguing situation where LSU is concerned. And the SEC as a whole is an interesting 
situation because you know, Georgia is still number one in the country. Some would argue they haven't been the best team. Bowers is hurt. He's out for an extensive period of time, and he's a brilliant tight end. Bulldogs are 7-0, and 4-0 in the league. Missouri, hey, much better than anybody thought, right? The Tigers, 7-1, and 3-1 and in the conference, only lost to LSU. That was a good road win for the Tigers. Florida's a little better than anybody thought. 5-2, and two, including 3-1 and one in the conference. And 4-0 and oh at home on the year. So the Gators are tough. Then Kentucky, Tennessee, each with two losses. Kentucky started out great, but has been exposed. Tennessee disappointing in their loss to Alabama after jumping out and leading at halftime. But I just don't see them figuring now. South Carolina, Vanderbilt in the east, Auburn, Arkansas in the west, and Mississippi State, for that matter, non-factors when it comes to the overall picture of the SEC and the race itself. So it's pretty clear-cut when you look at the conference at this point. It's Georgia, Missouri, Florida, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, you know, as the teams that you're looking at, most notably, to be in contention in the conference. SEC champion, hard to keep them out of the playoff. And I know there'll be other teams in that mix. And that's also true of LSU with two losses. Can still get in to the playoff if they win out, I believe. How do you keep the SEC champ out? That's my feeling about it. So let the games play out. Things have a tendency to work themselves out. And then we'll be talking about where the playoff system is much later in the game. 504-260-1061. That's 504-260-1061. We'll talk about Tulane and the Saints. Still to come when we continue. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday evening. Ken Trahan, All Access, back in just a moment here on Nash Icon, 106.1 FM and at NashFM1061.com. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation and a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem, Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor, as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation and a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor, as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. 
Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eloquist.com or call 1-855-ELOQUIST. This report is sponsored by Taco Bell. OMG, hot and crisp nacho fries are back, and there's even more fries to love now at Taco Bell. But it's now or never. Yeah, these fries covered in bold Mexican spices with nacho cheese sauce are only here for a limited time. At participating U.S. Taco Bell locations for a limited time only, while supplies last. Crescent City Connection eastbound, Lafayette to the I-10 merge, only 12 minutes, a four-minute delay. Those HOV lanes taking about 15 minutes. Still working the construction, I-310 northbound at the uh, Hale-Boggs Bridge. Be aware of that. Right lane is blocked. I-310 from US-90 to I-10 taking 38 minutes. I-55 still closed. Northbound at the I-10 split uh, in Laplace. Southbound in uh, Ponchatoula uh, at the Frontage Road. Michael Higgins, New Orleans Funeral and Cremation Service Traffic Center. This is where you get all access. Not just the focus on one or two topics. All sports topics are on the table with your calls at all times. Join us now by calling 504-260-1061. Now back to Ken Trahan on 1061 Nash Icon through CrescentCitySports.com and at NashFM1061.com. The New Orleans Saints uh, goes preparing for their game this Sunday at Indianapolis against the Colts. The Colts are a one-to-one-and-a-half point favorite, depending on where you look, with regard to this game. Saints have had a long time to prepare. Does that mean they're healthier? Yes. It certainly appears that way with the first injury report, as today only two Saints did not practice. One was James Hurst with his ankle injury. The other, Alvin Kamara with an illness. Now, you got to believe he'll come back from that and be able to play, but was that with an illness? All right, so there were several limited participants for the Saints. Jawan Johnson limited with his calf, but he's on the way back, and Coach Dennis Allen expressed some confidence that he would be able to play this week. That would be huge for this offense. They've really missed him. JT Gray with his hamstring. Trying to come back from his hamstring injury. was limited today. Landon Young trying to come back from his hip injury. He was limited. Ryan Ramchek coming back from concussion. They certainly miss him. Limited today. Demario Davis with his knee problem. Limited. That was the case last week and he played. You expect he will. Teran Matthew with his foot injury, limited. Jimmy Graham had a day of rest. Marcus May hamstring, limited. Taysom Hill chest injury, limited. Kendry Miller shoulder practiced in full. Where the Colts are concerned, cornerback Julu Brents with a quad injury, did not practice. Tight end Kylan Granson, concussion, did not practice. Defensive tackle Eric Johnson, a second ankle, did not practice. Running back Zach Moss, elbow and heel problems, did not practice. And tackle Brandon Smith, hip and wrist injuries, did not practice. Of course, Anthony Richardson is out for the Colts, so they're missing their quarterback. But Homer Minshew stepped in. Homer Minshew. <laughs> Gardner Minshew stepped in and played last week. Homer and I were high school friends. Come on. Gardner Minshew, of course, experienced player. Saints faced him last year. When he was with the Eagles and the Saints beat him and beat the Eagles. So hopefully that repeats itself where the Saints are concerned. Otherwise, analyzing the situation where the Saints are concerned, you know, a lot of talk 
some stuff on social media, some finger pointing, the visibility on the sideline, all of that has happened since last week. What does it all mean? Well, we're going to find out. I would say it doesn't mean anything until you see what this team looks like on the field this coming Sunday. They've had a whole lot of time to work out their problems, to talk it out, clear the air, and to make themselves a better team on the field. Let's talk about the the reality of the situation offensively. This team has not been good enough offensively. And yet, in its past two games, it's been better. The yards reflect that. The score reflects it to a degree. And maybe we're having a different conversation if Foster Morrow catches a touchdown pass. But he did not. And it's systemic of the entire offensive problem. Either making the wrong decisions from Derek Carr's perspective, making the right decisions and not being accurate enough, or making the right decisions and guys just aren't making plays. You know, if it's a multiple-choice question and you want to add in play calling and you want to add in lack of good offensive line play, then if you were given the multiple choice, A, B, C, D, E, or F, you choose F. It's all of the above. There isn't one, any one instance or any one aspect that's caused the Saints to be simply not effective enough offensively. It's a combination of all of the above. And anyone that would suggest otherwise is simply not telling the truth. Now, the burden is always going to fall on the quarterback. The burden of proof, that is, because of the money he's been paid and because he's the quarterback, because of the investment made and because of the expectations made and because of the fact that the head coach went all in on him. Said, this guy's our future and this is what we're doing. I've had him before. I like him and I think he can do everything we need to be successful. That has not happened, as we know. Derek Carr has to be better. But the players around him have to be better, too. Guys can't break off routes. they got to run the right routes. The route tree has to be sound, not guys running right together. Offensive line has to block. And with all due respect, the guys that played last week did a better job than the guys that play normally, at least overall for one game. That doesn't mean you want Sterling and Garcia to be your guys. It just means that they did a solid job one time out and maybe provide you with a little bit of depth. The fact that Trevor Penning doesn't play, unless he has to, speaks volumes about what this organization thinks of him at this stage. And that's pretty depressing. Because you just can't keep doing this. You can't keep missing on these guys. Cesar Ruiz is not played to the level of a first-round draft pick. Marcus Davenport never did. Peyton Turner hasn't done it. You get the picture. Trevor Penning. You've got to have guys that with the investment made give you the return on the investment. And that simply hasn't happened. Kendry Miller's third team right now. You drafted him in the third round. A-Chain and Spears have both been good for their teams and the Saints picked Miller before either one of them. A-Chain hurt right now, but boy, he's electric. We know what Spears is. So again, decisions made, and that's not to knock Miller. Maybe he will be that guy. We'll see. Jamal Williams is that guy right now, or he's supposed to be. Number two running back and a guy that's supposed to get a substantial number of carries. Remember, he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns a year ago with 17. We haven't seen any of that this year. You can say that an injury has been part of it, and it has. 
with Kamara out, he was given the ball, given the chance, and he got hurt. Now he's back and hasn't made any impact to this point. And he has to be that. We'll see. What about the rest of the draft? Saul DeVere traded up to get him. Played a little bit the other night, but he's not been that guy yet. You wouldn't figure he would be as a rookie, but eventually, Howden at safety, I think they have high hopes for him, and they think he could be pretty good. A.T. Perry looked good in preseason. Makes the roster, but he's inactive every week at the expense of Keith Kirkwood. And I'll say it again, and I, no disrespect whatsoever to Keith Kirkwood. But what has Keith Kirkwood done in the NFL? And I, you know, I'm going to hear about the blocking. Well, I got news for you. Gary Henderson was a really good blocker. He also led the NFL in average yards per catch twice. Was a dynamic player down the field. Traquan Smith was a good blocker. We know that too. He's not here anymore. Okay? Blocking is nice to have from a receiver's perspective. But the most important thing is being able to go make a play. Catch the football. Kirkwood has one catch for one yard in seven games. What has he done previously in the league? 20 catches in his career. 20. And he's been playing since 2018. For 258 yards, no damage, two touchdowns. And that's starting in 2018. Six years. And yet he's active ahead of A.T. Perry. So what does that tell you about what they think of Perry at this stage? They don't have enough confidence to play him before a guy that's an unproductive player. So again, the decisions that you make put you in a position that you're in. Jake Hayner heard such wonderful things about him, and the guy gets himself in trouble, and he's suspended. Whether he can be that or not is another story. you got to give it time to see. But look, he's small too. But we'll see the decisions that you make. Just haven't seen a lot of hits where the Saints are concerned in terms of these decisions. Now, Isaiah Foskey's been all right. He's in the rotation. Hopefully he continues to improve. And then, of course, Brian Brzee's been pretty good. And you like what you see of him. Big, strong, quick, has a chance to be a really good player and the kind of player that you're looking for in that number one slot that you pick him in. So there's that, and there's one player there that you certainly point to and say you can see what they liked about him, and you can see why they were high on him, and you can see why he might be the kind of player that they want him to be. Ryan Brzee so far has shown that ability. Of course, Carl Granderson has been their best defensive lineman, which says a lot since he's an undrafted free agent. Demario Davis has been himself. He's good. Pete Warner has been a tackling machine. He's good. Cornerback's pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Lattimore, Debo, and Taylor. Safety play, hmm, okay, I think would be the right word to use. And as mentioned on offense, Juwan Johnson, getting him back is big. He's a guy that can get up the field. He's a guy that can get up the seam. He's a guy that can draw attention and can make plays in the intermediate game, which the Saints haven't made at all, and can create opportunities for others if he's healthy. 
This guy really had a breakout year last year, and he had a great training camp, and everybody thought he was set up for a big year, and then he gets hurt. So let's hope he's on the floor this week, on the floor, on the turf this week, and playing at Lucas Oil Stadium. If not, certainly by next week, because he does make a difference for this team. And oh, by the way, if he does get in there, then the whole Jimmy Graham narrative goes away even further. And a lot of people wondering about Jimmy Graham and why he's not seeing the ball, you know, why he's not playing a lot. Look, he has been playing a lot. He's played a lot of snaps. He's just not been involved in a passing game for whatever reason. Maybe it's because he can't get separation anymore. Maybe a lack of confidence. I don't know. But Jawan Johnson certainly is that guy. But if he comes back, he and Morrow will get the lion's share at that position. And Jason Hill obviously getting snaps in that pseudo position as well. So that, that just diminishes the role of Jimmy Graham even more. But it does make you wonder why they kept Graham on the roster in the first place, if that's the vision or the lack of vision they had for him. Remember, they had Lucas Krull in the preseason who had some promise too, but he's gone now also. 504-260-1061 is the number to call. We'll take a final time out here. When we return, we'll touch on the Tulane Green Wave and their quest for continued success at Rice. That's next. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday night. Ken Trahan, back in a moment here on Nash Icon, 1061 FM. And as always, we're on the World Wide Web at NashFM1061.com. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation in a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor, as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and, in rare cases, fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS. There's a whole lot of savings going on now at Staples. During Staples Sit-A-Thon, you can save up to $150 on select office and desk chairs. And when you buy a chair, you save 25% on desks, storage solutions, and office accessories. Plus, your local Staples now accepts Amazon returns. And when you return an Amazon order at Staples, you receive a coupon for $10 off your next $30 Staples purchase. Now is definitely the time to save at Staples. Chair offer ends 1028, in-store only. Exclusions apply on Amazon offer. It's Macy's Friends and Family, with early deals on everything you need to get ready for the holidays, like an extra 30% off brands that rarely go on sale with your coupon or Macy's card. And take 15% off fragrance, skincare, makeup, and more great beauty gift ideas, now at Macy's. Plus, Macy's Star Rewards members earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply. Find something so you at Macy's Friends and Family. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation in a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor as this may increase your risk of stroke. 
Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS. I can't wait for what's next. Even with higher stroke risk due to atrial fibrillation, in a regular heartbeat not caused by a heart valve problem. Eliquis, the Pixaban tablets, reduces stroke risk. It's the number one cardiologist prescribed blood thinner. Don't stop taking prescription Eliquis without talking to your doctor, as this may increase your risk of stroke. Eliquis can cause serious and in rare cases fatal bleeding. Don't take Eliquis if you have an artificial heart valve, abnormal bleeding, or have antiphospholipid syndrome. While taking, you may bruise more easily or take longer for bleeding to stop. A spinal injection while on Eliquis increases risk of blood clots, which may cause paralysis, the inability to move. Get medical help right away for unexpected bleeding or unusual bruising, or if you have tingling, numbness, or muscle weakness. It may increase your bleeding risk if you take medicines such as aspirin products, NSAIDs, SSRIs, SNRIs, and blood thinners. Tell your doctor about all planned medical or dental procedures. Learn more at Eliquis.com or call 1-855-ELIQUIS. Always welcoming intelligent points of view, whether we agree or disagree. Let's have meaningful, constructive dialogue on All Access with Ken Trahan on 106.1 FM Nash Icon at NashFM1061.com and through CrescentCitySports.com. Give us a call, 504-260-1061. Tulane Ring Wave and the Rice Owls coming up on Sunday. And Tulane is a double-digit favorite, 11 points. And the game's in Houston. And Tulane is learning what it's like to be the hunted, as compared to being the hunter. We saw that last week, and they better get used to it. Rice is a worthy opponent, 4-3, and 2-1 and one in conference play. And Rice is a capable team. I mean, you look at, they lost to Texas. Well, Texas is an elite team. Beat Houston in double overtime. Scored 43, scored 59 against Texas Southern. Scored 29 in a loss to USF. Beat East Carolina, lost to UConn, but scored 31, scored 42 on Tulsa. So what does that tell you? Tells you that their offense is very capable. Offense is capable of scoring. Offense is capable of putting up points. Offense is capable of giving you real problems. So your offense, Tulane, has to be sharp, and your defense must be better than it was last week. Dean Connors leads Rice, 324 yards, four touchdowns, rushing. But the name on the Rice squad to remember is JT Daniels. I mean, again, this is a guy with experience at big schools. He's got 17 touchdown passes, five interceptions on the year. He's completed 64% of his passes for 2,173 yards. Daniels is a good player. This is a good matchup of quarterbacks with these two guys. When you look at them, it's the battle of the Daniels. No relation. Jaden Daniels, JT Daniels, both with J's for first initials, right? All good. So Tulane 
has to slow rise down offensively and has to score. And I do think if you score 30-plus in this game, you win, much like I talked about in the LSU game. I think Tulane's mature enough to get the job done. I think Willie Fritz has his team focused. I think Michael Pratt, the further down the road he gets from the knee problem, the better he gets. And I think that will be the case again this week. And I do think Tulane prevails in this game, but this will not be easy by any stretch. Rice will provide pretty stiff 